and welcome to the MacFab Engineering Podcast. We are your hosts, Parker Dillman and Stephen Craig. This is episode 264. So this is going to be a very interesting episode because we just have a whole bunch of random topics that we're just going to rip right on through. Let's do it. Okay, so Tesla, are they actually, okay, let me just do the title, I guess, for it. Tesla recalls cars with EMMC failures, calls part a wear item. And this was on Hackaday today that we're recording. So we're recording an episode like a week ahead just so that we can have like a day off. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Actually, I think it's worth saying this week is uh, five years of the the MacFab Engineering podcast. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, so... Woo! Congratulations. Woo-hoo. We did it. Yeah. But yeah, so instead of like skipping a week, so we have that. So in five years, we have not missed a single episode going out for a week. We're pre recording an episode so that we can have a day off. Yeah. Um, I'm okay with this. Yes. This is fine. <laughs> um, so yeah, Tesla. So are they actually recalling cars for this? You know, I uh, I have to admit, I, I so I posted this and I skimmed it and skimmed it for like the funny stuff. In it. Oh, okay. <laughs> so like, I don't know the full extent of uh, like, are they f- like? It says they're doing a recall, but I don't know exactly how much that is. Yeah, because I think what it is is the NHTSA, which is the National Highway Transit Safety Something Association. Mm-hmm. Maybe, anyways, that's like the the the. I was going to say three letter, but it's actually a five letter or agency here in the United States that does uh, like safety and basically make sure cars aren't going to explode while driving down the freeway. Um, so they re- were uh, requesting Tesla to do a recall on this component mm-hmm. that was failing in their Tesla vehicles, which was a memory, a flash memory chip, an EMMC chip. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tesla responded that it is a wear item, and so they don't have to. Uh, they don't have to do a recall or do any warranty issues because it is a quote wear item like brake pads. Right, right. So, so basically, uh, the car's operating system is Linux, and they have been dumping logs to this flash, so it's getting written to a, a lot and often. Yes, and I remember this coming up. I don't know if we ever mentioned it on the podcast, but I remember reading about this issue where uh, someone was hacking the Tesla operating system and noticed, hey, there's a bunch of logs going into this flash memory thing, and that's probably not a good idea for longevity of this component. Flash forward three years later, you know, that person was right. <laughs> you know, you know, it's kind of funny because um, I sent I sent this article to my boss, and um, there was a product <clears throat> that was designed, I don't know, years and years ago, that uh, inadvertently the code wrote to an EEPROM more often than was expected, and uh, the company saw some premature failures uh, where, like it would get stuck and locked in in a in a situation and you'd have to reset the processor and then it would access a different location in ram and uh and so like it could just freeze at certain point and uh the the product was actually discontinued and uh there was a design effort for another one mainly because 
the flash was just getting written too too often and you end up like bit rot it actually does happen in uh, mm-hmm. flash memory they have a a specific number of rights that they're allowed to accept and yes ran into that and it sounds like this is a very similar situation here's the thing that sucks though according to this article they said the problem leads to widespread uh, widespread failures that could put it in limp mode which limp mode for modern cars in a lot of ways is like it limits your your speed to like 10 miles an hour and it and it like basically barks at you to get it to some kind of service center correct yeah um so this this is the thing with them calling it a wear item so this is this is coming from someone who works on a lot of cars so wear item one is quote easily serviceable unquote some cars are more easily serviced than others but and like let's say like a a oil filter okay that's something that gets changed every oil fil- oil change which is depending on the vehicle 3000 to 10000 miles some are like doing 15000 miles now and some of them are in weird spots that are like you have to like triple joint your arm to get to but you can get to them and replace them usually without having to remove any other components in the car this emmc component is inside the dash you had to disassemble the entire dash of your tesla or i guess you wouldn't be doing it it would be the service center <laughs> or the uh poor schmuck who is going to get paid like half a days of of fixed pay to do like a two-day job for the warranty um to replace this component into your car so it is not an easily quote easily serviceable item and two um this item doesn't appear anywhere in the recommended service interval manual for these cars so if it is a wear item it has a how many mile usually it's by miles or hours depending on the type of equipment of when these wear items should be serviced that's not in here so it was never even considered a wear item when they were building their documentation. This is just a straight up cop out to avoid warranty issues and recall issues. You know, and and okay. So if this was a wear item, it's a, this is a ball grid array memory IC. Uh, that's not something that a, any normal person would be able to replace. That so your only hope of replacing that would be replacing the entire board. Like I, I know this might be a stupid uh, analogy, but that's like saying the coils in your alternator are a wear item, and you should be able to replace the coils, right? Like it's ridiculous. Exactly. Um, they could have made it like if it was a component. Let's say it was just a circuit board you had to replace every. I mean, in this case, it was like every. It's like five years, four years. Like, like pluggable that. flash or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, pop off a panel off the front, like, like pop a panel down. Oh, there's the board right there. You just kind of pop it out with like a, like a memory stick or like mm-hmm. a PCI Express card. Then I would be like, totally, they designed that to be replaced. Sure, maybe that component's not the most cheapest component because like you have to replace the whole board instead of the, just that chip. But again, that's not too big of a deal. And then you could say, hey, every five years you need to replace this because half your car is not going to work if you don't. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's actually the surprising thing. It's it's running out be- of 
it's wearing out because of they're putting in a lot of Linux like OS logs there. Mm-hmm. But so much of the car uses it in terms of like your like the example given is like the defroster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to run the defroster on your car, it has to use that component, and that component goes out. You can't use your defroster. Well, uh, it also controls, uh, according to this, the heater and warning systems. So it, there's some potential safety behind that. Safety yeah. Measures. So a component, that's even another thing, is a component that's designed or that is part of the safety system of your car is now a wear item, which boggles my mind. I don't know. I mean, like, I guess brake pads. Yeah, I was about and to say tires. brake pads. You're yeah. right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Okay. You're, you're 100 percent correct there. Yeah. Yeah. But but something like that, you you can't design it to not be a wear item, like brake pads. Yes, correct. Like yeah. Breaking your car has to be, uh, it has to wear in some way. Correct. Yeah. I mean, because it's friction. Right. Right. Um. So yeah, it's just one of those. Well, te- okay. We can buy that, but you could build brake pads that last the lifespan of the vehicle. That's what a lot of manufacturers... Well, manufacturers aren't doing that, but they're doing other things like lifetime fills. I'm doing air quotes. Lifetime fills of like transmission fluid and stuff, Yeah, which are like, the transmission fluid lasts forever, in quotes. It's because the car falls apart in four years. (laughs) (laughs) So what is the solution to this? Not use EMMC. For for, for thing, the logs, yeah, for things that you write to on a very regular basis, very regular basis, yeah, or make it something that's easily replaceable. But I would say, just instead of just spend a little bit more money on the storage medium, mm-hmm. like or actually use like DRAM or something like something another kind of technology that you can you can write to a lot, right, and it doesn't have a problem with it. I think someone in the Slack channel was mentioning also um, split it up and use use smaller chunk of DRAM for just logs and use the EMMC for other things that don't get written as often. Like turning your defroster on and off? Sure, yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, yeah, if, 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 if you needed to log, okay, defroster was turned on at this time and then turned off at that time, that's not a regular write. That's yeah. very minimal, and that should last the span of the, of the car. Well, and, and, I mean, you should be able to predict all of these things, too, because the data sheets for memory typically tells you the average amount of writes that you can do to it but then Correct. again um perhaps they uh perhaps the engineers at tesla don't have like a full grasp on how much linux is trying to write to this thing um and i'm saying that because perhaps nobody does you know but the thing is this was brought up years ago and tesla responded by saying it's not a big deal it's a wear item don't worry about it but it's like they could just fix it with a software update. Well, but but you see, they're actually telling the truth because it did wear. It did wear out because it says <laughs> it says in the data sheet they wear out. Yeah, so it must be in wear wear item. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll, I'm calling that a CYA right there. <laughs> yeah, but it just it's like it's like calling a an internal combustion engine. It's like calling your rings that seal your pistons. A wear item. Yes, they wear, but they and they last a long time. But no manufacturer calls it a wear item because you don't regularly replace them. They mm. last the quote lifespan of the vehicle unquote. I wonder if there's like an official definition of wear item, like to which 
like do you, does a wear item have to be something that the owner should uh, with reasonable competency should be able to replace themselves uh like how do you define a wear item i, I mean obviously define it however you want could that's that's according yeah. to this article, i mean that's what tesla is doing yeah. but what the auto industry says is a wear item is something that's designed to be easily serviced in quotes easily or has got to do that nowadays and um it has a regular interval like procedure to to change it or inspect it hmm. yeah so that that's like sense. a what a wear item I would I would consider and that's what I've seen other like if you open up your like your service manual for your car it will have all the what they consider wear items in there right uh, and they're generally not covered under their warranty like wearing out your brake pads is not covered under warranty right because they right. consider it a wear on tires tires are a wear item they're not under your warranty um your piston rings on the other hand are not considered wear them even though they do wear and so if they prematurely fail or wear out, you're, if, if you're under warranty, they will replace them. Right. Yeah. Because mm. everything wears out. Yeah. You know. Everything eventually. So. Interesting. Yeah, it's... Um, I don't know. That, that, it, Tesla bugs me a bit, so... <laughs> you know, uh, sort of in, in parallel to this, just uh, yesterday... Uh, Derek on the uh, Slack channel wrote, uh, so it finally happened. After all these years of using SD cards on Raspberry Pis, I've never had an SD card fail on me until today. And it's just kind of serendipitous that <laughs> that something, oh, yeah. like a flash memory issue happened to him uh, then, which I, you know, I, I was playing around with uh, Pies the, uh, the other day and thinking about some server applications. I'm like, man, if I'm running anything on this that I want to maintain data, like it's ridiculous to run it on an SD mm -hmm. card. Uh, you would want to boot it on some other medium that has um, a bit more reliability. Like SD cards are not intended to run an operating system and pass data continuously. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, it, it, you're kind of lucky with the Raspberry Pi that it does it well. Yeah. Now Tesla can fix this by making it not log a whole bunch of stuff and then actually own up to the fact that this was a design mistake. And then actually go fix it, like, and have they, they will have to either replace everyone's chip or part under warranty because it's that is not a wear item. But we are equal opportunity talking about car companies. So GM to extend vehicle plant shutdowns for more than a month. So this is continuing our holy crap. The supply chain is screwed up right now for electronics like train we've been riding for like the past two months on the podcast so if you're sick and tired of listening to this too bad <laughs> we're going to talk about from like the next 10 minutes probably uh, or at least five minutes um so gm expects this to get worse uh they they temporarily shut down to so this is gm slash chevy they temporarily shut down uh three factories and they were like, oh, yeah, it's only going to be for like a week or two because we don't have components to put into our cars. Um, well, they didn't get their components, so now they're extending it to more than a month. I've shut down. Um, but the big thing is 
that I took away from this article, this is an article from Fierce Electronics, is that Ford is having to cut pickup truck pr- uh, production. Uh-oh. And this is America. <laughs> I was about to say, you don't We do that. love our pickup trucks. Yeah. It's, it's, so, it's ridiculous. So, if you're not from the United States, you, you just don't realize how many pickup trucks Americans buy. Oh, yeah. It's ridiculous, especially Texas. <laughs> especially Texas. But, like, the Ford F-150 is, like, the most sold car in the world. And it is only sold in America. Just think about that. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's just ridiculous. How can they survive that? I mean, that's a huge downtime. Yeah. And so, and this is, since since Ford is having to cut down their pickup truck production, which is their breadwinner, by the way, like that line probably makes most of their money, is... Ford's earnings are going to be predicted to be $2.5 billion less this year because they can't make pickup trucks. Oh, geez. Yeah. Um, component suppliers are saying by mid-June, they will be caught up with all the automotive orders. So there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Unfortunately, it is in like month five or six of this year. <laughs> I wonder, uh, like they got, they have. I mean, they have to be doing something during. Like this must be like okay, spring cleaning time, or you know, something like that. Yeah, like, yeah. Let's optimize everything while we have four weeks of downtime. And then uh, Texas Instruments said that we th- we saw this ahead, so we built a bunch of production. So apparently, TI is good hmm. in terms of their volume. I'm sure they have entire divisions that just sit and look and try to predict this kind of stuff. Yeah. But remember it was like, it was two or three years ago. Yeah. It was 2018 that TI had a bunch of supply problems, Mm -hmm. but they fixed it by buying a bunch of chip fabs. (laughs) So they didn't actually really have to spin up any new ones. Yeah. When you got money like that, you can just buy fabs. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a uh, last episode when we were talking to Chris Carter uh, about, um, you know, uh, preparing for production on large scale things. Like one of the simplest solutions is just buy all the parts you need when you can, as opposed to like, uh, you know, doing it just in time or whatnot. Mm -hmm. Like if you have all the parts, then you can make it right. So just buy everything. (laughs) Just buy planet earth. Yeah. (laughs) Buy all the mineral rights in the world. (laughs) Oh, wouldn't be surprised me if that, Someone has tried to do that. So get this. A few weeks ago on episode uh, 260, we talked uh, about, um, or or I brought up the the idea of a different uh, form of uh, component searching for large uh, component vendors. Um, And... Today, DigiKey released a solution to what I was complaining about. So, yay! Thank you so much, DigiKey. Uh, Woohoo! Which is pretty cool. So, the the idea I had, or the the, the concept behind this new search form, was to basically be able to uh, zero in on whatever part you want faster. And uh, go back to episode 260 if you want to hear a little bit more details. But effectively, all it boiled down to is I want to be able to search. Uh, look at all the items in my search, and as I go through and read data sheets, just be able to peel those items off my search. 
And uh, DigiKey now has a solution for that. So there's a little search bar up at the top of DigiKey that that is called search within results. So after you've already done your initial search to get your whole list of items, inside that box that says search within results, you can just type tilde and then put um, whatever characters you want to delete from your search, and it'll just dump those parts from your active search box. So you can just leave your window open and keep peeling off parts as you uh, look for them uh, or look through them and uh, and then zero down to whichever you know one you want to look for. I'm super excited about this because I have I, I have a very simple thing that I want to try this for. I'm in need right now of a pin header, just a regular Joe Schmo 2.5 millimeter pin header, but I need a pin header where the body, the actual plastic part, is one millimeter um, in height, which normal pin headers are 2.5 millimeters. So I'm going to test this in one of like the crappiest situations, because if you go search for pin headers, you get bazillions of copies of stuff where it's like, you know, uh, based mm-hmm. on pin count or whatever, blah blah blah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a shot and see how fast I can narrow down to a pin header that has the right body size that I'm looking for. Because that's not a normal thing that's gonna be part of the search fields uh, that I could initially go for. So I need to go get yeah. A you can't giant filter list. for it, right? I have to. I can't filter for that. That's not typical. So I'm gonna have to get a whole list of pin headers and then go search through data sheets. And uh, I'm sort of. If, if you can't tell, I'm kind of excited about that. <laughs> but yeah, thanks, DigiKey. Like, I'm super happy that this exists now. I'm totally going to use DigiKey a lot more now. Um, Yeah, I, I can't wait to start using that because uh, I think it was... Ooh, who Who is it in our Slack channel? Bommeled Monk, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think he works for DigiKey, so he hangs out on our Slack channel and uh, released that that change note, I guess, today to us. D- DigiKey has spies everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I can't wait to start using it. And also, that's like only one of the features that got released. There's like a... Oh, yeah, there's a boatload. Yeah, there's like... You can do like uh, basically... Um, operations like and and not and stuff like that and or um in the search fields as well from what i'm privy to uh digikey is doing a lot of fancy stuff on the back end and there's a lot more beyond that in fact um bumbled monk from our uh slack channel went on uh what what's the um gosh why can't i remember it now the other they uh the other podcast, uh, electronic or the software podcast, um, embedded FM, embedded FM. Uh, went on and talked about uh, some DigiKey stuff there. So go check that episode out. There's a lot of cool information in there. All right. So this week I've been working on a really random project and it is done minus testing so I can present it. Ooh, you're past 50%. I've passed, I'm at like 90% because I want to test it. Is I was thinking I want to be able to reseal 12 ounce cans. Okay. In like particular, like, let's say a, or something. a beer or soda or whatever. Um, they make like lids that you can like snap on that kind of keep the pressure. Um, but they don't seal well. Like if you spill, if you tip it over, it's going to leak out. Okay. I wanted something that like 
you actually can seal it and then toss it in your backpack and then you don't have to worry about it (laughs) in theory. Okay. And so there's a couple different products out there that like might work. And I tried a couple of them. Like one actually like turns a can into like a screw top, which worked great until like it, it like if you threw it in your backpack, it would pressurize up and then pop that piece of plastic off. So I'm like anything that attached to the can with like a friction fit, was out of the question. Like it just can't support the pressure. And so I decided, okay, I need to build something that goes around and holds it from the top and bottom. Right. Mm-hmm. And then compresses a seal on top of like the lid the lip, right? The okay. lip on a 12 ounce can. Yeah. So I had a Yeti, a Yeti, which is a brand of like thermos, thermos style, coolers stuff like that for drinks they make one that fits a 12 ounce can and so i started with that as the base because that gives me like most of the design right and i just needed something that would thread on the top and seal like a cap right Mm. and so i i designed a cap showing steven this oh wow okay i'll take a i'll take a picture for the podcast yeah Yeah. did you Um, knurl the side it's printed knurled Wow, that's sexy. it turned out amazing. It's yeah, like it's look, amazing it, look, how well it looks it's, machine knurled. <laughs> yeah, it looks machine. It's, it's it turned out amazing. So this is one I that came off the printer last night. Here's one with a seal in it. So it's got a a FDA material approved seal, which is like a silicon sheet that I bought on like Amazon, and I just cut it out with a. I removed like the center arbor from a hole saw. Mm. And then, like, very carefully on the drill press, like, cut into it. <laughs> so, because you know, it wants yeah. to walk because you don't have a center arbor. Yeah, for sure. But I was able to get it cut pretty cleanly. Okay. And then I, I, uh, and it's just a, a sheet that had adhesive already on it that was FDA approved. So it just kind of like stuck in there. And you can actually see the ring of the lid or the lip of the, of the can. As you screw down. Oh, look at that. That's cute. And it doesn't rattle or anything. So I haven't tested it yet because I don't want to test it with like a beer or anything. I want to get like club soda or something that something won't get that sticky. Won't get sticky. <laughs> yeah, it won't get sticky. <laughs> and basically I want like the worst case scenario is like put a can in here, open it up, and then reseal it so it's fully charged, ready to go, and then toss that thing in your backpack and see if at the end of the day does it have pressure. Oh yeah, at um at the same time, so so crack, actually don't crack a beer if you can't. Uh, well, okay, so I'm looking at at a chart right now. Soda is typically um pressurized at at 60 degrees Fahrenheit to about 40 psi. That's more yeah. than a beer. Uh, beer beer is a little bit lower than that. So yeah. if you uh, and I don't know about club soda, I would think it would be closer to the 40 psi. Yeah, it's they're pretty bubbly, right? They're 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 so crack open a club soda, put it in that thing, close it up as quickly as you can, and shake the living bejesus out of it. Yeah, and see I don't if think it it's going to explode. I'm more worried about like the plastic. It's polycarbonate. This thing is tough as nails. I'm more worried about that seal being able to hold that pressure. That's why I'm saying like if you shake it, like see if see if it jets out. You know? Yeah. Um. And 
I know there's someone out there that's going to be like, why don't you just like pour it into some other container that's like designed to be sealed with like a screw top, whatever. That defeats the point. <laughs> the point is to not pour anything. And have you ever tried like when you, if you pour a beer or anything that's actually really foamy into one of those, it foams up like crazy. Yeah. And so you it's it you have to like like barely pour it in slowly. And I'm like, man, I got I got too much too much stuff to do. I just want to like slam the beer in there, open it up and be good to go. You know, if you wanted to get really fancy, you could you could make your little flask thing that you have here and then have a side port that you could pressurize the internal of that to whatever pressure is in the can and then you kind of equalize the pressure of everything. I'm not, I'm not getting where you're going with that. Ah, don't worry about it. <laughs> ah. I was just making this, uh, making up something that you could equalize the pressure such that uh, it wouldn't have the chance of explosion. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. But y- yours is cheaper and easier. Yeah. Well, the original idea is I started designing, like, machining my, like, it all out of aluminum and, like, the base and stuff. And I was like, you know, it's going to suck trying to keep that cold. If you make, the, like, basically you're strapping a heat sink to your can. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. And so I, I went with a, a Thermos style Yeti. And uh, amazingly... um I got the threads on the first try, or almost the first try, and then I tried to improve the threads, and I have, like, a huge pile of, like, thread tests, like 20 of them. The first one fit the best. (laughs) (laughs) So, so wait, okay, the threads on those things are not, like, national thermostandard thread, right? No, they're not. They're they're just some custom thing, right? And actually, this is the newer style lid hmm. or whatever you want to call this it's like uh, one circle of tooth right no it's 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 a one four human. start thread oh okay so it's 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 called their lock and load trademarked <laughs> thread design so <laughs> you only great. so you can get the drinking faster because it's only a quarter turn to lock it uh, instead of having like screw it on which i do probably have also the other easy to form for them yeah, yeah. The um the older style is like a multi-turn single start thread. Mm-hmm. And I do have a lot of those. Um and I was going to use those, but I was thinking like okay, if you've got your gloves on, like you're snowboarding or skiing or whatever and you got your gloves on, you don't want to be like fumbling and screwing this thing open and closed. Yeah. I'm like, man, you just want to lock and load that thing into your <laughs> mouth. <laughs> <laughs> that I, I like how like they've they've gotten to the point where they've I shall we say perfected um the the the, the heat side of things. Like they've made like you're oh, yeah. not gonna you're not gonna get significantly better than the thermos. So they're like, what what's the next thing we need to do to make a luxury brand? And they focus really hard on like the feel of the threads. <laughs> yeah. Um and actually I will put this way, whatever I printed Fits better than the thing that came with. Wow, I don't know why. How, how did you how did you end up doing it? Did you just guess or like I mean not guess but you measured? So a I bit. I took the ring that yeah. it came with because it's like a it's like a locking ring, and I actually I cut it in between the threads hmm. and then flattened one out and then measured it. 
<laughs> oh, okay. Kind of got like a, just a uh, a profile of it, and then yeah, I got that. profile it, and I I I did it as a Infusion three hundred and sixty. Um, I did it as a because you can't do it as a thread because you can't do multi start threads in Fusion, so I did it as a coil. So you have to do four coils basically that only go like point two revolutions or something like that. Right. Like it's I'll a, share it's the, if this works, I'll share the design. Yeah. Because like, um. Just getting the threads right was like 90% of the design. The rest of it is just like, oh, yeah, I'll just extrude it out and round some things and print it out. How'd you end up doing the knurling infusion? That is also a coil. Oh, a lot and so of you coils, do right? a. You, what was that? Oh, did you do like a mirror, a circular mirror pattern? Yeah, so you do you do a. a um, a coil one direction that's like a 0.2 revolution, but it, at a steeper angle, mm. like at a 45. And then you mirror that, so it's, you got one going the other way at the same base. Mm. And then you take both those and then circular pattern those around like 100 times. Yeah, yeah, nice. And that worked out. It, I'll put this way. It looks like a machine neural. No, if, uh, on on the image here, it looks like you have black anodized aluminum. Yeah, it, it's like you actually can't tell it's a printed part unless you look at the top. Because <laughs> that's where it was sitting on the bed, and you can see like some of the print lines. You need to come up with some goofy logo and slap that up on the top. Oh yeah, yeah. Just put like a circular like plate and glue it on the yeah, top. Yeah, should. Well, this is the prototypes. I've wrought to make them out of uh, aluminum. Um, so so they they have lock and load threads. You need to come up with some dumb name like I don't know, crack and slam or something like that. Crack and slam. <laughs> <laughs> But it's mainly for like, so if you are, what I want to do with it is when you're out skiing and snowboarding, I usually bring a couple beers in my bag because I'm not going to pay $8. Actually, that's on the cheap side, like $12 a beer on the side of the slope. Right. And so I just, you basically just like sit down somewhere and you crack a beer and drink the whole beer. But sometimes you don't want a whole beer. You want to like drink a couple of sips and then like get back going, right? So that was the idea of this was like, okay, put your beer in here. That way you can have, you know, a quarter of a beer, Lock zip it, it back up, yeah. throw it back in your bag. And then next couple runs later, pull it back out, drink a couple more. Engineers always have solutions for. It could either be the most amazing idea I've ever had. Someone's going to take that and make a bazillion dollars. On or, it. <laughs> or it explodes all over my backpack. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, next time you go skiing, it'll be a trial by fire. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, I expected that to be a five-minute topic, and that took 15. Yeah, that was one of the longer <laughs> ones today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, that's super great. Yeah. How, right. I, just out of, out of curiosity, I'm going to extend it just a second. How long did that okay. take to print, like one lid? Uh, Two hours. Two hours, okay. Yeah. They're not bad. I set them up. Sell, There's just not a lot of forty bucks a piece for the lid. <laughs> That's more than the koozie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, Pinatar Revision Four. It's been a while since I've talked about this. Prototypes are ordered for Rev Four. I maybe I'm confused. I thought the last Rev was Rev Four. No, no, last Rev was three. Well, I mean, wait, obviously. am I confusing myself? I, I think you might be. I thought I thought you were already on four. I'm looking at the last board right now. It says Rev 3. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm the idiot. 
All right, so what's special and what's new about Rev 4? So we had a couple episodes we were discussing relays for the uh, Pinotaur. And so we're basically I'm putting on it like the most badass relay that we found that fits the specifications. It's like 500 volts, 10 amps, and it's actually rated for that as a switching voltage. Um, and it actually has like two contacts and you have to in DC applications, it has to be wired up the correct way because of how the contact shapes are. Oh, God, it's expensive. Yeah, but, I mean, it's going to work. In in quantity uh, 1,000, these relays are 11 bucks a piece. <laughs> yeah, but hey, it's a safety device. Yeah, so. yeah, 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 yeah. You can't complain too much. You can't complain too much about a safety device. Yeah. It's not a wear item. It's not... <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> you don't want it. You don't want it to be. I don't want item. this to be a wear item. <laughs> Replay unsolder the relay after 100 plays. No, 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 no. 100. You, no, power don't cycles. put that in the manual. Just if it goes bad, then tell someone it's a wear item. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. Um, we had to change the current sense IC on the relay or on the high voltage. I won't say the relay on the high voltage side as well. Um, it, the old one. It's just a higher spec rating uh amperage rating not voltage rating um that we're currently using mainly for in rev on the rev 3 board we started using the the uh fault line on the uh chip to like actually it fed into an and gate and that gate drove the relay circuit Mm. didn't drive it directly drove it through a fet all that good stuff but um, that AND gate, so the AND gate got a signal from the microcontroller that everything was good, and it got it from this this current chip. So basically, the current chip, if it over amperaged, then it would hit the alert flag, and then it would shut down the relay, which is basically a whatever. Uh, so basically, like is like a faster alert than what the the microcontroller could respond with. And we were actually spiking that relay, that 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 sensor, um, to to its tripping point, and so we just bumped it to like the thirty amp version, and now we're safe again. Hmm. Okay. Basically, it was just the the inrush current was tripping it. Well, I w- I'm almost wondering, like, could uh, would it be possible to instead just put like time delay, uh, so you allow transients to pass through? You can't control the signal like that in the uh in that chip well but you could control the output you could uh, like the the output no, that goes to c- the and gate you could you could time delay that no because the the fault line only resets on power got it um so on power that chip when it, it, it when that uh current sense chip sets its fault line that fault line cannot be reset unless it's power cycled Okay, that makes sense. So you, and it's not programmable. So you can't say, hey, ignore spikes less than 20 nanoseconds. It's, it's or an all or nothing it pin. Yeah, it's all or nothing pin. Yeah, okay. And so the way to get around it is just go, okay, we're just going to have less resolution on the amperage, which in reality doesn't really matter because we only care about really if is current flowing when it should be flowing or not flowing when it's not supposed is to it, flow. Isn't it just like a, a one bit system? Zero is okay and one is oh shit. Uh, on the yeah, well, we actually are reading the voltage uh, amperage, but we really only care like it's really only there to see if 
there's act like a bad MOSFET or a bad diode on the on the board. Ah, uh, okay. Or on or in the pinball machine. And and, so and like, those okay. probably show up as a big spike, so it's pretty easy shows to up tell. Shows up as a big spike. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is we we added basically the safety of uh gate logic to flip the relay off just in case like there could be a situation like hey the microcontroller actually locked up and a FET went bad what else can we do to prevent that from happening and like you know a 5 cent AND gate adds adds more protection to the system so we did that and then we added a second RGB channel for serial LEDs and we did this because um, not because of like how many LEDs we needed or anything like that, but actually the current rating of the connectors we had to use for the LEDs. So we're using actual JST 2.0 millimeter connectors. Uh, I say JST is actually the brand JST I'm talking about. Um, and we're actually under the current limit of the connectors, but it's the wire. That we have to use because I think we're limited to, I want to say twenty four gauge, but I think that's too, I think it's twenty two. I have to t- pull up. Oh, let me pull it up right. Oh, now. based on the 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 pins contacts, yeah, like your crimps. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually you're limited to a certain amperage, uh, not amperage, uh, gauge of your wire, which then limits your your current. And so we had to change over to a uh to two basing lines so we just have two power rails mm. now um do, 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 main pcb there's my cable drawings it is 22 gauge so we had because 20 gauge 22 gauge is like the largest you can fit in the terminals and it's just like well that's just what we have to go with so Hopefully that's all the changes we have to do. Nice. Four revs. Then we that's go to production. Bad. Yeah, it's not too bad. Nah. Yeah, because you, I mean, you had it pretty close on rev three already. It's just, just rev one polishing is, basically. Yeah, rev one is still running like prototype pinball machines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it works fine. It's just one of those like, oh, if we need to add this. We can improve that. Clean this up. It's basically what it was. Like Rev two was like just cleaning traces up and changing some silk screen, and then Rev three we decided to change a little more, like the relays and stuff, because we just were not satisfied with the how they were performing. You know, whenever I do design stuff <clears throat> on a larger scale like that, that's usually what I shoot for. Rev one is just get it functioning and get it such that like try to get it on the first go to just do the general things you want to do mm-hmm. and then use the next revs to polish that. Um, exactly. And, and, you know, in my line, um, polishing might be like, does somebody like it or does somebody not? Uh, or uh, polishing could just be like, ah, you know, the amplitude of this signal needs to be bumped up just a little bit. So I'm going to change a resistor value or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, simple things like that. <clears throat> and most of the time that tends to work out and, you're you're getting close to production by your third or fourth revision. No, I agree. That's kind of what I do. Yeah. But that's all I have on that. Hopefully when those show up, um, I plug them in, it all works, and I can go 
onto MacFab's website and go print five hundred. Nice. <laughs> uh, when uh, when do you think when are they going to be built? We had like two weeks or something. Uh, yeah, in two weeks I'll have them. Nice. Um, and then so we're running close to our time, but I have one more thing. Something I have been waiting for. Oh my god. I want to say a decade. I want to say a decade. Years, many, many years. Yes. Parker made memes about this years and years ago. <laughs> yeah. I think actually, like, when you started at MacFab, I was talking about this. Yeah. Still. Yeah. And I made the meme, this meme of, like, a skeleton waiting on, like, a park bench that was uh, still waiting for Prop 2 to be released. And that was six years ago at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Six years, six, uh, five and a half years. So, anyways, I and we had Chip and Ken Gracie on our podcast uh, a year or so ago. No, longer than that because before COVID. Mm-hmm. And um, we talked about the Prop 2 and all that good stuff. And they said it was coming. And I'm like, I will believe it when I get one. <laughs> and I, I, a couple, we were talking, it was just me and you actually, not on the podcast. We were talking about, um, I've been working on, spoiler alert, because... It's not fifty percent done yet, but the the multi multi gauge like octoprober thing. Yeah, you talked about that a handful of weeks ago. Yeah. Okay. So I did mention you it. Did mention. And it. so I'm going to use the. I was like, oh yeah, the prop two is supposed to have like basically an ADC analog digital converter on like every pin. Mm-hmm. So you have like sixty four of those. And I'm like, that's perfect. This is actually perfect for this project because I need a crap load of ADC. Like, I don't need super high resolution ones, but I need like a lot of them. Mm. And so I'm like, oh, I wonder if it's out. So I went on the web- on Parallax's websites and they are selling them. And ta-da! Oh my gosh, he's holding it up. He actually well, has a physical chip in hand. Well, not a chip, f- a dev board. Dev board. And um, this dev board is not the cheapest development board. This was like the most expensive one. Um, it's it's pretty chunky though. It's got some weight to it. When you say most expensive, go ahead and spill the beans. So it's 150 bucks. Is now they do have some that are like 40. Um, but I wanted one that had I I wanted an all in one board so it has like all the pin headers are broken out. Um, it has all the supporting hardware you need so i just have to plug usb into this and it works yeah it has it has the memory it has the switch mode supply on it things like that yeah all that good stuff it has a um a uh yeah it has the a a switch mode ldo on it Mm. yeah low dropout regulator oh okay i I thought that was a switch mode i thought i saw it is switch mode but they called it an ldo yeah maybe it's both Hmm. I'm assuming it is because it has an inductor on it. Yeah, it looks... Uh, yeah, Right, will, yeah, that's what I... I focus. saw that big old chunky inductor. But yeah. It kind of looks like it. So, yeah, I'm pretty excited on actually getting to use this. I, I powered it up and the lights turned on and it didn't, like, smoke or explode, so I assume it works. I haven't done anything with it yet. But my first goal is to... Um, build up some dev boards with like all the components I need to use to, for this project, like the thermocouple readers. And then I want to build some, um, um, I need to have like a isolation barrier for the analog stuff. 
because I don't want to connect those pins directly into the prop. I want to have some kind of buffer there that protects it. And then I want to build up that um, that analog devices app note on a board as well. And they kind of like hook it all together with spaghetti wires mm. and see if I get something functioning. And then I'll spin a whole board that, you know, runs runs this guy. Nice. So um, <clears throat> Prop 1 has its own uh, coding language. Uh, what was it called? Spin, right? Spin. Spin. Yeah. Uh, I'm assuming Prop 2 runs spin as well yeah they had it's called spin two no go figure uh, but it, it does even just like the prop one though is it it does run c it does run actually a couple different languages they have compilers for um it's not just c uh, not not just spin hmm. right um i'm going to use spin because it's i think it's actually a super powerful language for doing embedded systems for this style because it's you are instead of having interrupts or anything like that. You do have eight processors to wrangle, and Spin actually does a really good job at at managing that for you in a conceptual way. And it's very colorful. It is very colorful. <laughs> um, I know a lot of people are are turned off by at least we're turned off by Prop One because of Spin, but I'm like, you can use C and do it that way if you really wanted to. Um, and really though, it's like. It's just syntax. In the end of the day, it's just a different syntax for, uh, for the language. Right. I write it. I write it a lot like C. It's just in spin syntax. And um, back when I did a lot of hardware development and prototyping, I would I would do my prototyping on a parallax propeller because I could shove out firmware so much faster. And then when it came time to actually finalize the product, I would switch to a cheaper processor like an efm8 or a at tiny and i would just port my code into from spin into um c for that microcontroller and it wasn't that difficult to do now i wasn't doing super crazy like uh firmware stuff that you know takes months or years to develop but it's, it is possible yeah All right, I'm it looking. Exists. I'm looking forward to seeing that thing rip. Oh yeah, I'm. I'm. I want to see how much power it consumes. Because that is a chunk, chunky chip. And now I want salsa. I want some chunky salsa <laughs> to put on my chip. Okay, let's let's wrap this guy up. Cool. So that was the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We were your host, Stephen Craig, and Parker Dolman. Take it easy. Thank you, yes, you, our listener, for downloading and uh, I was going to say something like eating chips or something, but I couldn't think of anything. Um, downloading our podcast. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, or salsa recipe, let Steven and I know. Tweet us at MacFab, at Longhorn Engineer, or at Analog ENG, or email us at podcast at MacFab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel. You can find it at macfab.com slash slack.